Good morning. This is a case from the Shoyoroku, the Diamond Scripture Revilement, the introduction. Understanding the meaning based on the scriptures is the enemy of the Buddhas of all times. Deviating one word from the scripture is the same as devil talk. Does someone who is not included in cause and effect still experience the result of action or not? The case. The diamond cutter scripture says, if someone is reviled by others, this person has done wicked acts in previous ages and should fall into evil ways. But because of the scorns and revilement of people in the present age, the wicked deeds of past ages are dissolved. The verse. Continuous success and failure, inextricable cause and effect. Outside the mirror crazily ran Yajnatala. With the staff, the oven breaker stuck, struck. The oven fell. The spirit came to celebrate, only to be told he had been turning away from himself. Sometimes Sangha members ask, how do we choose a theme to work with for each angle? And if there is some methodology to the process. So generally speaking, of course, there are some important aspects of our tradition that need to be worked through and embodied during an intensified training period. And at some point, they find their way to be featured in an ango. But the process of choosing a theme for an ango has much more to do with paying attention to the need of the moment, the times we live in, and the obstacles we come across individually as a Sangha and society. In other words, choosing an ango theme is mostly organic process. And often it feels like the, the theme is choosing us rather than us choosing it. And the depth and reason become clearer as we work with it. And so acceptance as the theme for this angle started during a recent wave of social injustice, discrimination, which is a much deeper issue that many would like to admit and like all our harmful propensities, it is ancient and it has collective karmic energy. And so today, I'd like us to talk about karma. I'd like to talk about karma with this Teisho and then us as a group discuss that. Discuss karma in, in relation to acceptance and the way it manifests in our lives as personal and collective calm extremes. So Buddhist teachings are aimed at shedding light on two inseparable aspects of our existence, impermanence and karma. And this koan deals with, with karma. 
Nakoma is an, is an essential aspect of Buddhist teaching simply because it's an essential aspect of our lives. As in the case of all Buddhist teachings, the imperative is to study things as they are and merge with what is so we can learn to live and function well together in a way that lessens harm and promotes healing. The word karma means action or causational action, which in terms of our existence as human beings means the inviolable law of causation and interconnectedness. Everything that happened up to this point have residual effect on what's happening now, and everything that's happening now will have residual effect on what will happen later. Nothing exists unto itself as isolated, separate, or fixed entity. And karma is not a system of reward and punishment as it may appear to be. And although we experience it in our lives as fortune and pain, karma is essentially not personal. It's not against or for anyone. But while it's not personal, it is deeply affecting every aspect of our lives. And Buddhism speaks of three kinds of karma. The first one is karma with immediate consequences. Well, you bang your head on the wall, it hurts immediately. Second one is karma with delayed consequences. You go drinking at night, the next morning, there is a headache. The third one is karma with consequences that are never seen to us. So we may have an addiction, we may be dealing with something, but it is actually impossible to, to point a finger to where it started or what are the causes. We may be able to point fingers to experiences we've had in our lives as, as kids our childhood, but it actually starts way before that. So we don't know, well two things, we don't know how far it goes back, we also don't know how far it will affect people going forward, which means what we do now will have grave consequences, most of which will remain unknown to us. So it means that the current state of our lives, individually and collectively, is the result of past actions and decisions which are vastly unknown. Of course, it pertains to our occupation, our relationships, our financial state, where we live, the way we think, the way we behave, and the state of our society, and our environment, of course. And because it is so far-reaching and so powerful, it may seem like we are destined to stay on this perpetual karmic path. But in reality, it is no more than just the nature of karma. It is powerful, but it is just the nature of karma. And the more we understand how karma works, the more we accept it, the more we can see the possibilities for changing course. Bodhidharma said, 
Individuals create karma. Karma does not create individuals. So your past actions or avoidance have created ripple effects that manifest today. And we, all of us, have to meet and work with all consequences of those past actions. So I am the one who has created harmful karma. And I'm the one who has to deal with the consequences of past actions. But as long as I do not see that the harmful karma does not create me, I will keep perpetuating the same harm and remain on the same trajectory. So I did create this, but this is not creating me. Unless I think it's creating me, and as long as I think it is creating me, there will be a me that will perpetuate. So if we want to change that trajectory, we need to take the responsibility to examine the way we meet the consequences of past words and actions and then choose again and again to move in a different direction. And, and from the moment we open our eyes, we meet the way karma manifests. Whether it's a feeling, whether it's a thought, whether it's a connotation, all of it has karmic streams in it. So if we hear a thought or if we encounter a passing thought and it is telling us to do something and if we don't examine it, we will keep going in the same direction and perpetuate the same often propensities. And karma produces powerful energy that is working in the background of our lives and greatly influences our thoughts, words, and actions. So to intercept these powerful energies, we need to understand the mechanism of karma, accept the way it manifests in our lives right now, and most importantly, keep cultivating a high level of awareness so we can actually see that there is another way to react. Although we get triggered, the trigger itself does not mean that we have to react in this way. And it often may feel much more comfortable to react in a familiar way, obviously, which means it takes a different attitude. It takes great ability to perceive as things arise, to pay attention, to be aware, to be disciplined, to not follow the karma. The perpetual nature of karma spans through past, present, and future, but it can only be experienced right here in this very moment, which means the only opportunity, the only opportunity we have to meet the consequence of past actions is in this moment, within this form. And the only opportunity to change the direction of the perpetual energies is also only here at this moment. As an embodied experience rather than overlaid concept, our practice always comes down to today, which means we have to learn to fully accept and embrace the way life shows up at each moment. To fully accept and embrace 
And acceptance is absolutely key. Acceptance doesn't mean I'm going to fall on the ground and stay there because this is just the way it is. No. To accept the fact that, yes, I may be on the ground, but I can get up. Or I can stay on the ground and point a finger to karma. Well, this is not my responsibility. It's the responsibility of past karma. What can I do about that? It's one way to deal with it. Ultimately, Buddhist practice is experiential and Zen is a living tradition. So to study the tradition means to go directly to our own experiences course experience in karma is included in that and enter from there instead of intellectualizing sutras scriptures book studies memorize quotes the monk once asked master hogan what is the ultimate truth hogan said first i pray that you will live it second i pray that you will live it First and last, that's what it comes down to. This moment, and we talk about Zen practice, but Zen practice is all about meeting this moment with eyes open, seeing different possibilities, falling down and getting up, working diligently to change the course of our karma, to awaken, to the way it manifests in us today. Everything about the traditional Zen practice comes down to the way we actualize the fundamental point. All the ultimate truth, this is where the rubber meets the road. So do we see that when we engage in studying texts, chanting sutras, follow Zen etiquette, or maintain ungo commitments. Maybe especially that now, maintaining agon commitments. And this is a very important point because when we enter ungo, we have to enter knowing very, very well, very clearly that we are going to be triggered by this ungo. We are going to be triggered by what we chose to focus on and commit to. And there will be many times that we will not feel like we would like to keep upholding those commitments or there are other priorities we would like to attend to or take care of. And we have to accept that and work with it. We have to accept the fact that the practice will mess with our comfort, will trigger us, will push us. If we're not open to that, can we really transform? Can something really change if we're unwilling to be uncomfortable, to be triggered? So practice, traditional practice, can be a trap or a gateway to liberation, depending on how we understand it, how we encounter it, how we engage with all aspects of practice. And it also includes learning to work with the Sangha as a Sangha member. What does that mean? 
what am I expecting from a Sangha? And what, what do I do when I get triggered by the Sangha as a whole or by specific members individually? What does that mean? Am I willing to work with it? Or is there a point of being too triggered and then I shut down? In a way, we would like, we want to trigger each other, not on purpose, but we want to be able to do that. So we give each other an opportunity to work with what arises rather than point a finger to something or someone and ask, is it really that or is it something else that's arising in me that is essentially ancient? in its nature and this opportunity or this what happens right now is giving me an opportunity to break through so how do we work with Zen and this is where this Quran begins it says understanding the meaning based on the scripture is the enemy of all Buddhas at all times. So we can read Buddhist teachings thoroughly, develop clear understanding of what we think it means, hold discussions about it, and yet be clueless when it comes down to actually living it or to using it well. Because unless Buddhism is alive and functioning in us, it is as good as dead. And there are koans that state at the end that if you cannot answer this, the teaching of the Buddha is worthless. And the teaching of the Buddha is worthless if we don't embody today. There's a Zen saying that goes like this, if you cut this monk open, you will not see blood. And this is us. If the tradition is not flowing in our veins, there's nothing going on. Or we can say it's the same thing that keeps going on. So understanding the meaning based on the scripture is the enemy of the Buddhas of all time. And then it says, deviating one word from the scripture is the same as devil talk. So do we follow the teachings or do we ignore them? You know, the words of the words in scriptures are only true when they echo in our hara, dantian, or center. Each one of us is an energy source for or energy conduit for the teachings of the Dharma. So deviating one word from the scripture is the same as not being in alignment with who we are. It's not the words that we deviate from. We deviate from ourselves. All that the teachings can do is point at our own misalignment. And by pointing to where we are not aligned, it is pointing at alignment. So how do we understand that in relation to karma? 
the introduction ends with asking us, does someone who is not included in cause and effect still experience the result of action or karma? What does it mean to not be included in cause and effect? We may think that if we are or when we if we are or when we will be enlightened, we will not have to deal with consequences of past actions. Or when we have some level of clarity, then we are freed from dealing with it. And Pai Chang was asked the same question, are we free when we realize? And he said, an enlightened person does not ignore karma. In other words, being in alignment with the way things are does not elevate us above the law of cause and effect. So a simple example will be if we, I think I mentioned it before, if we have made some bad decisions in the past, financial decisions, uh, if we ended up drinking our way into great debt, and we cleared up, cleaned up, and we're living in a straight and narrow way, does that mean that we don't have to deal with the consequences of what we did before? Of course not. Our eyes may be open. We may not be doing the same thing we did in the past, but that does not free us from paying the debt, from dealing with relationships we, have, we might have ruined. It does not free us from dealing with it. In fact, it can teach us a lot about what's next, about how we create what's next. <clears throat> Bodhidharma said, when those who search for the path encounter adversity, they should think to themselves, in countless ages gone by, I've turned from the essential to the trivial. That's to be misaligned. And wander through all manner of existence, often angry without cause and guilty of numberless transgressions. Now, though I do, do no wrong, I am punished by my past. Neither God nor man can foresee when an evil deed will bear its fruit. I accept it with an open heart and without complaint of injustice. The sutras say, when you meet with adversity, do not be upset because it makes sense. With such an understanding, you are in harmony with reason, and by suffering injustice, you enter the path. By opening up and being willing to deal with the consequences, and, and that means deal with consequences of past actions which we may know nothing about. In most cases, we know nothing about. It means to be, to be open, to deal with our own karma rather than looking at somebody else's karma. I'd like to have his or her karma to deal with. No. Our own personal karma. This is, this is the gateway. This is the only gateway we have to nirvana, to realization. And he says it makes sense. It makes sense because all things are essentially interconnected. 
and the law of causation includes all things. And so by understanding the way karma operates, we can learn to take it as it comes and remain on the path when life gets stormy or it appears to be unfair. Or we keep falling down. We fall down, we get up. If we fall down without creating a self, we can also get up without creating a self. So it's unfair to who? Who is the victim? And who is the perpetrator? And to a certain extent, everyone, practitioners or not, everyone understands that we experience, right now, we experience the effects of our upbringing, the dynamics we experienced at home, the way our parents treated us, the environment we grew up in, traumatic experiences in our childhood, all positive and loving experiences we've had. It makes sense that we will experience the mental and emotional consequences of these past events. Of course it makes sense. And then also later in our lives, our adult lives, any decisions we make in the past will inevitably manifest in some way today. Whether it has to do with finances, relationships, relocations, professions. There's no question about the fact that we will occasionally experience the residual energy of past events or have to live with consequences of past decisions. But the question is, do we have to identify with the way the past manifests in us today? Do we have to create someone out of it? And maybe we have to ask, what happens when we create someone out of it? We have to see or maybe dive into it and examine, does the pain lessen or does it become greater does it really work when we create someone who is having the experiences as bodhidharma said individuals create karma karma does not create individuals but individuals can create themselves using karma and this is where the light of wisdom needs to be directed towards. On a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, am I creating something out of it? And to create something out of it starts with one thought. One thought. And there it goes. There we go. This is what we practice again and again. Watch where your mind goes. Observe. Watch where your mind goes because if we don't watch where the mind goes, the body will follow. The mouth will justify it. But if we watch where the mind goes and we let it roam free and we don't get in the way, we accept it as it is, then what? Then what? But it may be easy to understand karma when it relates to our own lifespan. And maybe we may have an actual memory of past event that manifests 
in some way today or occasional reactivity that we may have. And we understand that, that we have to take responsibility for what we have done in the past. But the Buddha's teachings of causation go way beyond this lifetime. And this is where it may get tricky. In the fascicle title Sanjigo, Dogen speaks about the three temporal periods of karma. He said, what we call the three temporal periods are the three time periods in which we receive the retribution from our good and evil acts. These are first the retribution experienced in one's present life, second the retribution experienced in one's next life, and third the retribution experienced in some later future life. Through your practice of the way, you learn to clarify what is the principle of karmic retribution in these three time periods. If you do not do so, you will make many errors and will fall into false views again and again. You will not just fall into false views, you will also give rise to evil ways and undergo suffering for a very long time. By failing to continue developing your good roots, you will lose much spiritual merit and will have long-standing obstructions on your path to realization. It's very important. And whether or not we believe in reincarnation is irrelevant here. All we have to do is just look at impermanence and the truth of interconnectedness. And it works from today to tomorrow, from yesterday to today, from 10 years ago to today. This is how we study it. We don't study it by looking at past lives. We study it by looking at this moment, at how yesterday is affecting us today. Moment by moment, it does. And when we study that, we have first experience of interconnectedness, of impermanence. And we recognize again and again that nothing exists unto itself in a vacuum from everything around it. We are an ecosystem, which means everything affects everything and everything is everything. You know, we chant... All the harmful karma ever committed by me since of old, beginningless time. Since of old. What is old? How old is old? How ancient is ancient? Caused by my beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance. Born by, of my body, mouth, and thought. That is acceptance. And most of this acceptance pertains to what we don't know. Most of it pertains to what we don't know. All we know is the way it manifests. All we can work with is the way it manifests today. And Buddhism teaches that each of us has different seeds that will manifest only when the conditions are ripe. But there is no way to know what kind of seeds we have in the Alaya Vijnana. 
and there's no way to know when they will come to fruition or there's no way to know when we will be triggered by life so what do we do with these comic entanglements the case in this koan is a line from the diamond sutra chapter 16 and he says, if someone is reviled by others, this person has done wicked acts in previous ages and should fall into evil ways. But because of the scorns and revilements of people in the present age, the wicked deeds of past ages are dissolved. We need to know how to read this, how to listen to this. Reviled by others may sound harsh. And most of us don't experience this in our everyday life. But we do experience getting entangled by our, by our own past actions. We experience getting entangled by what we're exposed to, getting triggered. Maybe we feel reviled by life itself. Or think that life is unfair to me. And if we don't understand karma, we may think that because I did the crime, I am the one who has to put the time, pay the price. We may receive our current circumstances as punishment for what we have done in the past. But it doesn't really work this way. None of it is personal because there is no self in cause and effect there is just cause and effect in cause and effect causation is just causation karma is just karma where do we find ourselves in one thought When we meet the consequence of past events, whether known or unknown, we can either get busy weaving a self out of the way karma manifests, or we can fully accept that this, that this is the way karma works and see it as an opportunity to break free from the incessant need to create a self. See it as an opportunity to awaken. Huineng, Sixth Patriarch, said, to speak in terms of inner reality, inner reality, previous ages is the deluded mind of the preceding moment. The present age is the awake mind of the succeeding moment. Which means this is the opportunity. The awake mind of the succeeding moment scorns the deluded mind of the previous moment. Because the delusion cannot remain, Therefore, it is said that the wicked deeds of the previous ages will thereby be dissolved. Once deluded thoughts die out, bad deeds are undone, and one attains enlightenment. And this is, this is the point. This is the gateway. This as this. This moment is the gateway. And it has everything to do with the way we meet ourselves
Huineg is speaking about meeting the moment from the clarity of inner reality, in which impermanence and karma are realized as inseparable. From there, he states that the past is a conglomerate of the deluded mind, and the reality of this moment is mirroring the awakened mind, which lies at the basis of tomorrow. So what we experience now is the result of what happened before. And what we do now will create what happens later. So by paying full attention to this, by meeting the karma with our eyes open, we are creating a whole different future. And not just for ourselves, but for our societies, for the world we live in. How many moments we squander not realizing the responsibility that we have in our hands. We've said many times to be a practitioner is to realize the great responsibility we have as human beings. It's an awesome responsibility to be a practitioner. And through the awakened mind of this moment, we realize the self-making mechanism of the previously deluded mind. And we're able to step forward and deal with the consequences without getting trapped. Or deal with past regrets without creating regrets for the same regrets for the future. I regret not doing that in the past. And I am dealing with the consequences of not doing that in the past. Am I doing it now? Or am I creating the same regrets for later? We may think, well, if I was diligent in my practice 5, 10, 20 years ago, for the past 20 years, I would have felt completely different today. That may be true. But what about this moment? Am I really changing something or am I just going to whine about it? How do I meet this moment? The verse, continuous success and failure, inextricable cause and effect. And the first two lines express the truth of an unbroken reality that has no gaps or divisions in which there is no self to be found. Outside the mirror, crazily ran Yajnatada. The third line refers to a story about a king named Yajnatada who one day looked at the mirror and couldn't see his face. So he went running around crazily not knowing what to do. And the commentary says, This is missing the real and clinging to the illusory. When real wisdom appears, illusory karma vanishes. When real wisdom appears, illusory karma vanishes. And the illusion has to do with the fact that we hold on to it, that we create someone out of it, that we look for ourselves outside of ourselves. We look outside, what do we find? We look inside, what do we find? 
Yajnatada was looking at a reflection, hoping to find himself. But all he had to do is stop, turn the attention inwardly and look at the real thing, which is never lacking. We do get distracted by karma, or by the way karma manifests, obviously. But even when we get distracted by ourselves, original self is never lacking. It's always there. And this story is a representation of us and the way we hope to find who we are through looking at reflections of our personal stories or the karma. And when someone asks, who are, who are you? How do you answer this question if not through going to the story and then taking the details from that? Well, who are you without? Or who are you when, put, when you put karma and stories aside for the moment? Who are we? Who are we when we don't look externally? And the next line says, With the staff, the oven breaker struck. The oven failed. The spirit came to celebrate, only to be told he had been turning away from himself. This is a, a beautiful story about mountain people who had a shrine with a large oven where they used to burn animals as sacrifice to the spirits. And at that time, there was a master who was later known as the oven breaker. He came over to visit the shrine with some of his followers. And he stood there by the oven, hit it with his staff three times, and said to the mountain people, This oven is composed of brick and mud. Where does the holiness come from? And where does the spirit arise that you burn living creatures? He then hit it again three times, and the oven broke to many pieces and fell apart. At that instant appeared a tall man dressed in green and wearing a tall hat. He bowed and said, I was originally the spirit in the shrine. For a long time I was subject to consequences of karma. Today, having heard your explanation of birthlessness, I am freed from this place and born in heaven. I just came to offer my thanks. And the master said, it is your fundamental nature and not my insistence. It is your fundamental nature and not my insistence. And this is something that we need to hear again and again and again when we study with a teacher. It doesn't matter how diligent the teacher is. At the end of the day, it is your fundamental nature and not my insistence. The spirit bowed and disappeared. You know, a teacher, a spiritual guide, does not hold the key to your freedom. Since being free is your fundamental nature. But if we believe, if we believe that we are held back by karma, then we are held back by karma. If we believe that karma creates us, then we are created today, now, by the karma. Because we give it permission to do this. 
Anitas. And the teacher can only show you the door. You are the one who has to walk through the door. You're the one who has to muster up the courage to go against what you have come to trust. To go against believing that the karma has to dictate what I do today, the way I move today. And Huynang said, because you yourself hold the scriptures adhere to practice, you do not produce images of self and other. And that is to work with the precepts, to embody the precepts. And always practice respect without question of enemy or friend, not contending when offended against, always cultivating transcendent wisdom. Maybe that's a line worth repeating. Not contending when offended against. Not going along with the trigger. So what if I got triggered? Big deal. So what? I mean, we, we get triggered so many times. Isn't that the time that we can just learn something from that and not take it so seriously? I get triggered. There are a million other things going on besides my triggers million other things much more interesting than me and my story and my triggers. And this is not to belittle what we experience. This is actually to give ample amount of space to what we experience. This is actually to respect what we experience and accept it rather than do something with it or about it. And he says, so the burdensome faults of previous ages will all vanish. Because you cultivate transcendent wisdom, the burdensome faults of previous ages will all vanish. Whether it's known or unknown, irrelevant. You wake up today, you wake up today. That's it. There's nothing more to it. To not produce images of self and other, to not create, to not react to criticism or recognition, and to practice deep respect and appreciation without judgment, to remain equanimous. This is how wisdom is cultivated, and this is how we can actualize it today. You may remember the com a commentary from the Diamond Sutra by Yin Shun. He said, Karma is the residual force of actions. Whether actions are good or bad, they depend mainly on the mind. Thus, the presence of exceptionally strong wisdom or resolution can cause karma to change. Karma means what is possible, not what is predetermined. That's a very different way to look at karma. Karma means what is possible and not what is predetermined. Hence, it can be transformed. Thus, Buddhism stresses past karma but does not fall into the doctrine of fatalism. We're not doomed. 
by karma. We're not doomed because we experience karma. In fact, we are free because we can understand the way karma works. Or we have the ability, we should say, to understand the mechanism of karma and awaken to it today. In the Hawaiian Sutra, it says, Should one wish to repent of it, let him sit upright and meditate on the true aspect of reality. All sins are just as frost and dew, so wisdom's sun can disperse them. When the light of wisdom shines, the sun rises and melts what is essentially water flowing water it freezes and the shape it freezes in appears to be real but the light the light of wisdom or the maybe the heat we produce through our practice the intense heat we produce through our practice melts it and then what is revealed is you, us. So there are two things we should not underestimate. We should not underestimate the power of karma and we should not underestimate the power of deliberate intention and the practice of awareness. To not underestimate the power of karma is to understand and respect the way it works to accept it as it is. But to not underestimate the power of our practice is to realize that we can do something about it today. Only today we can do something about it. We cannot do anything about it tomorrow. Nothing tomorrow. And obviously we cannot do anything about it yesterday. So what are we doing about it today? What are we doing with it in relation, to, particularly to this angle, in relation to acceptance, in relation to our own willingness to change? Where are we at with this? Where is discipline in relation to meeting and working with karma? So I would like to be quiet now and hear you guys. Please unmute, uh, state your name and speak. John, good morning. Hi, good morning everyone. I'm gonna be brave and speak. Um, First, I have tremendous gratitude for this morning's Teisho and every Sunday morning and for every every single Sangha member is uh, amazing to me. So what I would just like to say is I think because of my aging that I over these past many months, I have been examining sometimes with joy, sometimes with uh, horror and sometimes with neutrality. Um, the decisions that I've made in different areas of my life. 
And this kind of tied in right with that. And um, the one thing I have not realized is I have identified or, or felt very much influenced by uh, karmic entanglements of ancestors, which I didn't quite put together till now. And um, I, it's hard to accept that it's so frustrating. And um, this has given me a new light that I have to not only accept, but try to meet uh, every aspect of its uh, being in the moment. And that this life is not for the weary because it's really a constant uh, process. And thank you so much, you and everybody. Thank you, thank you. thank you. Thank you for your sharing. Yes, this life is not for the weary. This practice is also not for the faint of heart. Thank you. Who's next? Yeah. Um, you know, when we um, did our Ango commitments, I told you all my name, and my name is Chifu. Bear with me. Take your time. I think I'll need to go in a few minutes. Okay. Thank you. Who wants to speak and share? Kako, good morning. Hello. Thank you for this wonderful gift. Um, I'm thinking about, um, and I've talked about this with you before, but um, things like the precepts and and just good stuff and bad stuff that I've done. And, um, you know, when I hear about this karma and thing, I'm, I'm, my mind immediately goes to all the bad stuff that I've done. I forget whatever good I might've done, but especially certain particular things that stand out, like let's say the worst things that I've ever done. Um, I really get into a mindset that I have to make up for it. I have to erase evil karma which in my, like in a 12 step modality would be like, I have to make amends. I have to go around and, and patch up the things that I did wrong. And, you know, until I, until I can do that, I'm not fully whole or complete. And I wonder some of the things that you said today meet that, that way of thinking, but other ones don't. So I wonder if you could sort of clarify this about making up for what we did wrong. Making up meaning what? What does that mean know. for you? I feel like when I've done something, you know, that harmed other people, now I have to make up for it. I'm. It's not clear to me actually. It's one of the things that sort of came up when you were talking, and I'm. I'm kind of trying to understand it. Well, first, erasing we have... karma, I guess, would be what I'm thinking about. Say what again? is that? Evil karma. Erasing. Erasing. What is that? You cannot erase what was. What you can do is change the way you react to the way it was. Whether react to the way you were in relation to others or react to the way others were with you. Right now, there is reactivity to what was. 
right? And some of what was very little of what was we are aware of, or we can be aware of, most of what was we are unable to be aware of because we don't know. So you can go digging in that and try to figure out what am I doing about this or that. Most of it you will not you will not be able to find, right? So all all we are left with is the way it shows up today. And ask yourself, am I doing it now, right? So yeah, there may be people. There may be a couple of people that go and say, I'm sorry too. But then again, most are not around, right? And most most circumstances are no longer there. So all, all that we have is this, and this can change. So to make amend is to awake, to awaken now to this. So then later will be different. Now is different, later is different. Right? So otherwise you're going around in circles. Am I doing it now? Or what am I doing now? Yeah, I suppose when I call it to mind, in other words, how is it, how am I processing my memories of, of what I, what harms that I might've done? Mm-hmm. Am I thinking about it? What happens when you don't think about it? Sometimes I make the same mistake, I do the same harm over again, and then sometimes I don't. Okay, so there are two ways of not thinking about it. There is a way of not thinking of being asleep, and there's a way of not thinking of being awake. Uh, not thinking of being asleep will create the same. Not thinking of being aware, less likely. Mm. So am I aware and awareness? There's no end to how deep or how far we can go with the practice of awareness, right? There's no end to that, which means we keep cultivating transcendent wisdom. We keep cultivating awareness. Mm-hmm. That's all. That's what the practice is asking us. Keep cultivating. And when you meet consequences of karma, of past events, accept it because it makes sense, as Bodhidharma said. Because it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And when, when you recognize that it makes sense, you don't spend too much time or energy on it because you see it for what it is, accept it for the way it manifests, and again and again turn your attention to this to the pristine this. This is free of karma. This. Maybe not me, but this is. (laughs) Right? So if I keep turning my attention to this, what do I see? What do I experience? This is free of me. Does that work? Yes, thank you. All right. Free of me. That's what I'll remember. Free of me. This is free of me. Now we are free to call you Kakuo. See? That works. <laughs> Which means enlightened response. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so, Jifu, you tell us when you're ready. Go ahead. I'm going to tell you factually what I wanted to say rather than get hooked by it. Um, so, Jifu means healing wind. And as a nurse, I have no trouble being with healing wind. It fits very well. When I have trouble being with healing wind is when I want some healing for myself. And that has a lot to do with who I attach myself um, to being and how I define myself. I told you all I would look at um, my bipolar disorder as part of my acceptance um, during this ongo. 
And I see right away that this is an attachment to who I was or to who I am. It's a hindrance in my life. And even since this ongo has begun, I've had periods of time where my mind has alienated me. And that's just the story I, I attach it to, but um, I've had acute paranoia. And so I blamed the ongo. Oh, if I wasn't focused on this hindrance in my life, I wouldn't have to leave work paranoid. And this, um, this Taisho today was just so powerful for me in separating my experience from who I define myself as and who I can be moving forward. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, to, you know, to see that we are not our experiences, that our experiences don't define us, that's a gift. Truly a gift. Thank you. Major, good morning. Oh, good morning. So, um, I kind of attach similar to people uh, as far as um, my my history. Um, I was I was raised by my brothers and sisters, so I was separated from my mother at a young age. And when I started having my children, I um, I always said I am not going to let my children experience what I experienced being separated. So what did I do? I um, I was overprotective very, very overprotective over my children. And um, I thought I was doing the best thing, you know, being a great mom, I'm taking care of my children. I'm not abandoning my children like my mother did. Mm -hmm. So not too long ago, I had a conversation with my oldest child and he said, mom, you know, you, you know, my life was all screwed up between you and dad. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, well, dad was this way. And you were like, so overprotective. I, you didn't let us breathe. You know, you didn't let me breathe. I had so many issues in school because of not being able to, to, um, like have friends over or sleep over like other kids were able to do or be able to interact a certain way and everything he was like i i felt like i didn't learn social skills and things like that when i was growing up and and i was like oh my god i said i thought i was being such a good mom keeping you safe and keeping you guys out of trouble and and everything and he goes yes but it, it just it just messed up with our, with my head because I felt like, you know, uh, I couldn't trust myself and my decision making or anything like that. That you always have to be on top, you know, making sure that I didn't screw up somehow. And it was it, it really interfered with how you know I um I made growing up. It wasn't until I went away to college 
that I was able to get away from you and dad and be able to think for myself. And I was like, oh my God. And I didn't realize I, I, had, I had affected you that way by me trying to protect you and, and everything. So sometimes we think that we are doing the right thing because, you know, we're trying to do the best with the information that we have. And we're kind of bringing in, we're bringing in our history. We're bringing in our, our upbringing and we're trying to bring up what we lacked or how certain things affected us. And we're thinking that maybe the way we're showing up for the people around us or their children and everything, we're thinking that, oh yeah, we're making up for, we're making up for the things that were not, you know, provided to me. I want to make sure that they don't, they, but maybe their needs are not the same needs as I had. Maybe they didn't have that separation anxiety that I had when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And I and were giving them things or I was doing things that, that he didn't need at that moment and everything. So I was like, I was hurt by it because I was like, oh my God, you know, my kids telling me in a way that I was a bad mom, you know, and somehow, and then, and I'm like, so how do I fix it now? You know, what do I do now to make up for that? And he goes, no, it's just like, because as soon as you left dad, you, you were a totally different person. It's like, it was like, you were great, you know, I can come over and talk to you about certain things and stuff. And I was like, okay, so where was the problem? And he goes, mom, it wasn't always necessarily your problem. He goes, I know that you were trying to do things to please and to keep peace in the house because you and dad were different people. And, mm-hmm. and his, what was going on in his life and stuff was affecting you. And, and you were responding by being overprotective Mm-hmm. with us and I was like where did you get so so wise you know where did you get so smart because he kind of figured out the, the but some of the problem that I wasn't able to figure out sometimes we react to certain things because of our environment that's not who we are mm-hmm. you know sometimes we are in a in a place where it's toxic or in a place where you see like now, when, when you're around a lot of people that are negative and they are angry because of the situation that it is going on between the virus and between all these uh, hatred and because of all these feelings, you're in this environment with this energy that's toxic, that's awful, and, and you just don't know how to react sometimes, and you sometimes react the wrong way, and you just sometimes you know, uh, get on the bus with them, you know, mm-hmm. where you're sitting on a, on a fence trying to decide which way, you know, you're going to go with, with whatever case is being presented at the, at the moment, you know, mm-hmm. and whoever has the strongest pull on you sometimes pull you in that direction. And in that case, it was my husband pulling me into, if anything happens to the kids, it's your fault because you're the parent that's home. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm not with them 24 hours a day. You know, sometimes they're separated from me. So I was like this, making sure that nothing ever happened because if anything happened, it was my fault. Mm-hmm. So that um, that kind of made me a little paranoid. And I couldn't have them out of my sight for too long because right. God forbid anything happened. It's my fault, you know. And And then so now I think that in this situation with what's going on, it's very difficult for me to trust sometimes, you know, my choices or the things I do, because at the same time, I figure every time something goes wrong, 
you know, if I'm not paying attention, then it's going to turn around and it's going to be my fault for not making the right choice or for not making the um, right decision or for not being on top of things. So with this Tasha made me realize that that sometimes we 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 make the wrong choices or we make the karma because we're letting other energies or other people influence us and and not allowing us to be true to ourselves and you know um and 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 choose and accept but yeah you're a human being sometimes i'm going to make mistakes but i'm not in control of everybody or everything that goes on around me i'm only in control about my actions and my thoughts and how i show up you know that's all i can work on that's all i can control yeah so Oh, that's what kind of came up for me with this action. I have to be, I have to be accepting of the things that I choose, that I do, and that you know, um, that I'm responsible for. Right. You know, I cannot be responsible for the way everybody else shows up. You know, and I think it's it's unfair to even think that way. You know. Right. But anyway, that's that's my fifty cents. Thank you. Thank you. Often decisions are made uh, by the karma. When the eyes are not open or, or partially open, decisions are pre-made or, or predetermined. But then the way we meet that, we can open the eyes and, and, and become aware of it. So in some cases, um, saying goodbye to a relationship is, is, is a way to start to go in a different direction. It doesn't mean that we don't have to keep working on it or encounter it. We will not encounter it, right, as you say. But it does mean that you started to go in a different direction, right? And the eyes have to remain open because it has a very strong pull. So, so the habit, habitual uh, energies, right, the residual energies have very yes. strong pull. And we have to, we have to uh, respect that. It's important to respect that. And to keep on a daily basis, keep working on keeping the eyes open and changing and, and taking responsibility. Where do I really want to go right now? What do I really want to say? Where is it coming from? And then, and what happens often is it's much less comfortable to do what we need to do in order to break the cycle. It is a lot more comfortable to go along with the cyclical residual energies. Because we, 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 we know ourselves. We know ourselves to be that. I am that one. So, yeah, I'm going to keep being that one. And that's why practice is, is so essential. Because what do we do in practice? We keep stepping into the unknown again and again. Every time we sit, we, we allow thoughts to be there, to subside or not. And then there is that intention to go towards the unknown and stay within the unknown as long as possible. As long as possible. Of course, we run away from that back to the known and start to think, often intentionally, because we cannot find ourselves in the unknown. But that's the practice again and again. We go towards what we don't know until there is a point in time that it becomes more comfortable. So, yeah. Thank you for going in a different direction. You just have to keep going. Thank you.
Okay, who's next? Yes. Enkai, yeah. good morning. Um, what Joan and Kakuo shared earlier um, just brought some things to mind for me. And that I remember there was a time a couple of years ago sitting for a, a retreat and sort of getting flooded with uh, facing all of the things that I had done or said or, you know, the just sort of waking up to like what a jerk I had been. Um, and, uh, and then just like really, uh, facing that hard and grieving for a period of time over the, the sort of wasted time or the, you know, the issues there. Um, but pretty, you know, pretty quickly then turning that into, uh, it shifted into that being maybe motivation to practice, mm -hmm. you know, to not repeat that. Uh, to to shift and to change, um, so you know there was there was a little bit there's a little bit of a light there. I don't know, mm -hmm. Joan, if you're seeing that, but as far as I don't know how similar that is to your experience, but um, but yeah, coming to terms with it, facing it, and then then being motivated by it rather than continuing to hold on to it, or uh, mm -hmm. and then. Uh, and then with Kaku, you said how, um, you know, wanting to make up for uh, things. I've also noticed a shift where in the past, more frequently, the first reaction to want to fix things to make it better would be to maybe just to try to apologize right away. Um, and I noticed that my understanding of what an apology is and how it actually impacts the way I proceed, that if I, no, not that you were necessarily saying going around and apologizing is the way to make things up. But for me, I noticed a shift that if, if it was always as simple as just saying the words, I'm sorry, then that made me feel like, oh, I could just, that's fine. As long as I said, I'm sorry, like I, that's all I needed to do. Um, and uh, then then I would end up making the same mistake again because I had relieved myself of the burden or of the karma in my mind um, mm -hmm. by simply saying I'm sorry. But actually, if I withheld and didn't necessarily just go to the easy response of saying I'm sorry, I would actually sit with that a lot longer and then change my behavior and not repeat it. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, um, that was... That's something that I've observed over the past couple of years uh, for myself. So that's that's what I have to share. Thank you all for practice today. Thank you. Yeah, so confession will be along the lines of, right, going into the confession booth and saying what we need to say. And I forget which comedian was talking about it. And he said, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm going to the, to the confession booth and I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying up the priest telling him I got some sinning to do, so can we please hurry up this process and I got to go back to sinning so I can come back and confess. It becomes that another new cycle, right? And you just slap a label on it. I have confessed or I have said I'm sorry. But, um, but it doesn't, obviously it doesn't go anywhere. Uh, another thing about uh, karma that I think we have to also understand is because of karma, we, are, we find the, the Dharma appealing. 
we have done some things in the past that have led us to find the Dharma appealing. And I think it's important to bring it up and not take it for granted because most people do not find the Dharma appealing at all. In fact, they, they look at this as a waste of time. Why would you just sit there and do nothing for so many hours and not move? There are so many better things you could do with your time, right? And that's the comment, that's the norm. And we have to ask ourselves, what, why is that? What is it that makes the Dharma appealing to some and not to most? And it's not by chance. It's not by chance. Of course, after we do find the Dharma appealing, we have to develop uh, the discipline to be able to maintain the course or the path because there is the karma that has have led us to, to uh, find the Dharma appealing. But there's also another kind of karma, other karmic streams that are pulling us in a different direction at the same time. Which means we have to be disciplined about our practice and work with the way we get triggered. So, just keep that in mind. Okay, we have a few more minutes. Anybody wants to say something? Yes, Elle. Hey. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, just on the themes of, I feel, personal responsibility or decisions in the moment that are coming up, Something that I thought about during the taste show is um, work, you know, my job has been very bad lately is one way I would put it. Um, and as I was listening to the taste show, I remembered uh, something that I thought when I accepted the job offer, which was um, this is a decision that I'm making and I'm willing to accept the consequences um lately when i and that hasn't always been the sometimes when i've been suffering in other jobs sometimes the feeling is more like i didn't even choose to be here um so that's a it's an important difference that i've noticed um in terms and that's something that i think about when i make decisions in the moment um along this theme of there being karma that we never see the results of it um, with our own eyes or within our lifetimes. There are a lot of decisions that I, almost like every decision I think that uh, I make, I'm not sure what the result will be. And in the moment I, I try to just do what I'm okay with, even if it doesn't give me the result that I think it's going to give. Mm -hmm. um, I know, you know, it's a big part of my reckoning with um, racism and social injustice in this country. And my reckoning with how I interact with that is often uncomfortable. And I take actions that are new or different than what I've done before. And I don't know if they are the right ones or not. And I've had... I find that I have to continue to do work around reducing um, me getting caught up in or attached to, oh my God, things are so bad. I have to do the right thing right now. And it's um, being a little bit more present in that process and saying, this is what I think is called for right now. 
I do it. And sometimes, um, and I know there's a possibility because I just don't know. I know that there's a possibility that someone will respond to what I say being like, actually, that's more hurtful right now. Um, or I, you know, I didn't really like that you did that. And when I take the action, I say, it's okay. Like I accept that the consequence might be different than what I think it is. Um, that's just what came up for me. So thank you everyone. Thank you, Al. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's a lot there for us to, to look at and process, but thank you. Yeah. Okay, we're going to uh, wrap it up with that. And uh, it is to be continued. Obviously, this is not something we conclude. Uh, as long as we are alive, as long as we are breathing, we are going to work with karma. So let's work with it. Let's accept it. Let's learn to learn to uh, let's learn to see how the mechanism operates. So we don't allow it to be predetermined for later, right? Thank you all.